Well, today on the Mostly Banter podcast, we have Dr. Julian Gold, um, who is the mayor of Beverly Hills, all-around good guy, good friend. Um, I will tell you a personal story before I even let him talk on how I know he's a quality human being. I needed a recommendation for a physician. He doesn't really know me well, and um, he went out of his way, made sure I had the right physician, made sure I had the right people at Cedar sinai for my daughter, and that meant a great deal to me and my family. So he's just, he's a quality person, so welcome. Michael, thank you for the kind words. You know, I'm happy to help whenever I can help. And thank you for doing this. I appreciate this community venture of yours. It's, it's really important, so thank you. Thank you for coming. So this is different. As we chatted a little bit beforehand, this is not a go deep and be serious podcast. This is a be happy, and the theme is always Beverly Hills. So I'll start with just some easy, like, chit-chat, like you and I are having lunch like we used to at the Palm. We'd have to go downtown, and it wouldn't have to be for lunch. It would have to be for dinner now. How did you get to Beverly Hills? Should I say on the airplane? You could say that, but so let's go back further. We'll refer back to Keith Sterling, who told me, I was born, you know, no, but you were brought up in New York, yes? Yeah, I, I grew up in Forest Hills. <clears throat> um, actually, my father uh, served during the Second World War. He was a CB. Uh, he had been a mechanic before the war, and when the war came, he enlisted, and because of his mechanical skills, they put him in the Navy as a CB. And after the war, um, he and his friends all came back, they had grown up in Brooklyn and the area, and ultimately they um, made their roots in Long Island, which was really just being developed at the time. A small town unheard of before called Valley Stream, which grew enormously over the decades. Where in followed. Long Island is that? Is that closer into town or yeah, is that closer yeah, it is. to the it's, um, it's probably 20 minutes on the Long Island Railroad, something like that. Uh, relatively close. Okay. It's not nearly the Hamptons or any of that. It's, it's close in. And my father used to commute. Uh, he worked in downtown New York for many years. What did he do? He was an insurance broker. Oh, nice. Okay. And he worked down on Wall Street. And he would take the Long Island Railroad to Penn Station, change, get on the subway, had, you know, the usual New York kind of commute. And we stayed there until I was five, maybe a little more, <clears throat> when we moved to Forest Hills. Forest Hills is a, it's in Queens, which is one of the five boroughs of New York, and very nice, uh, quiet community. Uh, the school I went to was a block and a half away. I walked to school. Public school? Public school. PS 144 Queens. Okay. PS 144 Queens. And, um, you know, it was lovely, and, and it was just a great time. It was a good time to be a kid. Um, we could play stickball on the street and until they actually what stopped that was they decided for whatever reason the bus route was going to go down our street. We stay, still played stickball, but it was a pain in the butt because every time the bus came, you had to move. Clear off the street. Mm. Clear the street. Yeah, we, we had that here, too. I grew we up hated in Los that. Angeles. I, I just so hated that, you know. Yeah. So that, we were in Forest Hills. How for dare they interrupt our stickball game? Really? I mean, <laughs> you know, what are they thinking? Yeah, development. Yeah. yeah. But it was a time when... Um, you can take your bike and go anywhere Correct. virtually, you know. and Drop your bike in front of the, the store, go in for a, a soda or a whatever. Nobody would care. Whatever. Yeah. Nobody would care. Um, and so that was great. I grew up there. It was a nice place. I actually was there um, through high school. In Long Island? Uh, in Forest Hills. Forest Hills. Forest Hills is known, by the way, for tennis. Tennis, yeah. Of course, the original, U.S. Open, U.S. Tennis Open. The, well, the, U, the original 
was the U.S. LTA, Lawn Tennis Association, grass. Mm -hmm. And it was small, but it was famous. I was actually there. It was a very restricted club. They didn't like Jews particularly, certainly no African-Americans or anything else. Um, everything was white, including the balls and the shorts. Yeah, yeah and people, the they don't remember that. I barely remember the white tennis balls. They used to be a, I wouldn't call them white, but like a, an off-opaque something, not the neon colors that they oh, have today. you couldn't that do that. Came, God, you, that's, that's funny that I remember that. Wow. Yeah, wood tennis rackets. Yeah. And um, I was actually there when... Arthur Ashe actually broke the color barrier. Wow. Oh, an amazing tennis player. You know, tennis was a different game then. The records were smaller. Um, there were no promotions. No. Uh, the, there was, it was not televised. Uh, and it was very, very civil. So if you disagreed with the, the linesman's call, the worst that would happen, you'd hear, <laughs> that was it. That was it. And if you liked the shot, great shot, yeah, you'd hear a clicking. You know, somebody yeah. snapping their, their fingers, fingers, and that yeah. was as, yeah. as, as raucous oh, how we, as it Oh, got. how we've changed. <laughs> yeah, as raucous as it got. Ultimately, it moved to a bigger stadium. And, yeah. You know, but uh, it was a great place to grow up. Um, and, and so you're in high school, and you went to NYU? Am I right on well, that? Well, I went to high school in the Bronx. I went to the Bronx High School of Science, right. which took me a bus, two trains. Oh, wow. Each way, every day, both ways. And then I went to CCNY. Okay. Which was three quarters of the way to That's Bronx City Science. College, New York, for people right. that don't know. And I'm not from New York, but mm, I spent he's got time right. there that I know it and certainly know people from New York. Right. And it was also a bus and two trains. Yeah. Uh, and when I got into medical school, mm. which was NYU, I moved out of my parents' house. That right. was the first So let's stop there for one second. When did you decide you wanted to go into medicine? Was that something you thought about in elementary school, and high school, and junior? When did that happen? It actually happened in college. Okay. So I graduated college in 1970. Okay. Um, for those who don't know, we were in the middle of the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. and um, the, they had brought back the draft. And the way they had brought back the draft was they issued numbers based on your birthday. And I had a pretty low draft number. And it was pretty clear that uh, all things equal, I was going to land up in Vietnam, which mm -hmm. was not an aspiration of mine. You know, I always say we don't go deep, but I remember as a little boy, I'm a little younger than you are, I remember seeing the scroll every night on the news of the... Um, the, the men, and uh, I don't know if there were women on that list, I don't remember, I'm sure there were some, um, that perished in Vietnam. And I remember it, it, it was frightening to me yeah. as a boy. Yeah. So I can only imagine if I had been four or five years older, eight years older, and it's real that that's there. Was that a motivation for people to be in school, like to go to college? Well, yeah, it was for me, and I think for others. Um, if you were in college, it protected you for a bit, but once you got out, you were eligible. Uh, for me, medical school was an absolute deferment. So when I started college, I actually thought I was going to build airplanes. Hmm. Right? They still fascinate me, and there's a, an airplane thread through my whole life, but I never did, in part because of this Vietnam War thing. There were other reasons, too. But I was <clears throat> contemplating the alternatives, and I figured, well, what the heck? I'm going to apply to a medical school and see what happens. 
I mean, I got in. So um, <laughs> I'm a doctor. <laughs> well, Did you fall in love with medicine then? Well, I don't know. And love is a little strong. Because um, I've met a couple of kinds of, multiple kinds of people that are in medicine and then in, in their profession. And it's fascinating to me. Some are very money driven. They want to earn a lot of money. And there's nothing the matter with that. So they want to be the best so they can make the most money. Okay, that's a certain type. And then you get others that are, they fall in love with, I got to help people, and helping people really light me up. A uh, cardio, uh, um, car cardiologist friend of mine, um, he, he just lives to save people. He has no life, that's him. So those are the two extremes, and I would assume most fall in the middle and, yeah. and really like it. But you ended up in a specialty, right? Well, you know, I, 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 it's, a, it's a, also a, a common motif in my life which is if you do something and it's not working or do something else or you're not mm. happy, do something. It's okay. I learned early. It's okay to change your mind. Did you learn that? Did, did your parents tell you no, that? No, my parents. No, 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 not my parents. Yeah. Uh, my parents were very, um, very, very uh, the great uh, generation sort. You start it, you finish it. Um, yeah, no, no, no diverting from the plan. No. If you chose something, this is what you, you do. You get it yeah. done. That was the way it was. No, but um, for me, it, it took a little, but it was a revelation that, okay, it's okay to change your mind. Yeah. It actually is okay to change your mind. And I did. I, I went to medical school. I have to say, medical school was hard. I wouldn't say I loved it. Uh, certainly the two years, the beginning two years, they were all about books and such. It was just another kind of school. I had been in school forever. I will tell you, though, that at the time, um, so I'm, I'm learning microbiology and ecology, but before we thought of ecology the way we do today and all this other kinds of stuff. And wherever I go, people would say to me, what are you learning? What are you learning? What's about? And it was dull to be able to, you know, well, I learned about the anatomy of the cell, you know, or yeah. what might have kind of... Didn't light you up, in other words, yeah, but you're, just, you're, you're consuming all this information. Yeah, and it was, it was just, you know, nobody wanted to hear that. So I would say, and I, you know, it's all about the big words, right? Oh, we learned about lupus erythematosus. Oh, that's, that's impressive. That sounds impressive. I have no idea what that is, yeah, but well, wow. Well, it's lupus. It's what we call yeah. lupus. But I would say, wow. Yeah, wow, <laughs> right, or... Uh, intermediate beta thalassemia with the atrogenic hemochromatosis. Wow, yeah, that's that's, that's impressive, thing. you know. And so I would people would ask, and I would tell them that, and they were duly impressed. And I can go back to the microbiology. Uh, the, the couple of years after that, when you start to do clinical work, uh, I like that a lot better. I like the interaction with people, and. Um, you know, medicine. So you got. I, I'm going to say something. You know, you and I are friends. You didn't go diving into becoming a doctor like this is my lifelong dream. Your aptitude sort of as a vacuum, you got pulled into it, and now you're starting to warm up to it because yeah. it's starting to become fun, it sounds like. Yeah, I think that's right. I think... Um, and we're in New York doing this. We're, in, we're at NYU. I spent my entire training, which was medical school, two years of surgical training, three years of anesthesia training, and three years on faculty at NYU. So I spent a long time at NYU. And then I, when I did change, I came out to Cedar sinai That was the only change I ever made. But A doctor goes and they do residency and you're doing all this. And now 
do you Cedar Sinai call you? Do you put out? How does that work? You really want to know? Yeah, I do. Well, well I'll tell you. People want to know. All right. Well, so it was all about a woman. <laughs> See, you don't mm -hmm. think that's interesting. That's very interesting. Was, oh, do tell, please. It was all man. about a woman. Um, so, and, and notice you said woman, not girl. Oh, she was <laughs> very much a woman. Um, we, a buddy of mine and I, who I've traveled, he's still out here, and he and I traveled a lot together, uh, found ourselves in Israel. And we were two young guys on a bus with an awful lot of older people. The only light in this bus were these two young women who had their own story for why they were in Israel. And so the four of us became really good friends and, um, and stayed close. Were so, they American girls? Oh yeah, so California. Americans from California. that were visiting Israel and you guys were visiting Israel. From New York. From New York. So my training, um, in that time frame, I trained to do anesthesia for cardiac cases, heart surgery, and that's what I was doing. And a lot of pieces in this, but the net of it was one of the women landed up when we came back dating a guy who did the same thing. Wow. And that guy, her boyfriend, landed up in Israel with my mentor on a conference. They were in came back here, and it turned out that Cedar sinai was doing some, making some changes in their anesthesia department, so this guy called my mentor to see if he wanted a job, which he didn't. But my mentor said, oh, by the way, I heard from so-and-so. He said, there's stuff going on at Cedars. And I said, well, I'm going to give him a call. And that's what started it. it wow. More than six degrees of separation. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. So now you come out to Los Angeles in the 70s, I'm guessing. 82. 82. Okay, so I would say late 70s. Okay, so 82. And you're at Cedars. Where are you living? I lived on Arnez. So I was... Arnez is Beverly Hills. No, it's just... Just outside? It can be. It uh, can be. Part yeah. of it is, my part was not. I was a block and a half south of Burton Way. Okay. So uh, I came out here. So I wasn't sure... Um, I wanted this job, but it was offered to me. And I had a good job in New York, and I had a boss that liked me, and I had an apartment. But I had never left. I had never really lived anywhere else. So I went to my boss, and I said to my boss, I'd like a year's leave of absence. I want to see what's out in California. This is in the medical field in New York. Yeah, and see. Yeah. So I went to my boss, and I said, I, I want a year's leave of absence. He said, mm, you're going to hate California, and, you know, they... Nobody's going to talk to you, and yada, yada, okay, okay. Yes, you can have your year's leave of absence. So I left my apartment. I left the furniture. I came out here with one suitcase. I rented an apartment, which was a block and a half from Cedars. Cedars. I rented the furniture from Robert's Rents Furniture. <laughs> and the reason I rented it from them was they had a deal where for a small fee, you could change your furniture every 90 days. I never did. Yeah. Uh, a year into this, my leave was technically up. So I called my boss in New York and I said, how about another year? And he grudgingly said, okay. But I, I think he knew then. Somewhere in the middle of that second year, I got a note from Robert's Rents Furniture. Congratulations, you leased it so long, you own it. <laughs> 
Yeah, that furniture, oh, it's mine? Oh, yeah. terrific. <laughs> so that was kind of a hint that I wasn't going far. And in the end of that year, I resigned in New York, and I, I stayed out here. But um, What happened, everybody's going to want to know, what happened to the woman? Um, that sort of opened your eyes to California. Yeah. She and I remained really good friends. She landed up marrying not that guy, but somebody else. Okay. Uh, we lost track a long time ago. I think there was a, last I heard, I think she was in Texas, but. Well, she, she, she should know if she ever finds a way to listen to the podcast. She was She'll the know who it is. that bought the great, brought the great Julian Gold well, to fine. California near Beverly Hills. Well, I don't know about right, great. So now, no, it's great. Let's go great. I mean, okay, you know. Great. Uh, you're a wonderful person and, a, and, a, and an accomplished person that we should get to know a little bit. So now we're here, and we're on the outskirts of Beverly Hills, and we're working at Cedars. When Beverly Hills? When does that come in? Uh, a decade later. A decade later. A decade later. So um, Michelle, my wife, uh, had a circuitous route out here also. She's from? Chicago. Chicago. But we knew each other in New York. She worked at NYU, and she... Had a relationship there. And she's also in the medical field, if I remember. She's a nurse, nurse anesthetist who ultimately got her Ph.D. in pharmacology and went on to become an educator. She was the director of the nurse anesthesia program at SC, and she's a professor in pharmacology there. Also, her, she came out here. So she had a circuitous path, but when she got out here, she went to do her Ph.D. at UCLA. And her professor was a pharmacologist who had just arrived here from Vanderbilt in uh, Tennessee. Very nice man. It turns out that, and he's working at UCLA, and she's his first graduate student, and they had a nice relationship. It turns out that in 1998, he won the Nobel Prize in Medicine. Wow, that's one, impressive. One of three people for work around nitric oxide, which is the cornerstone of Viagra and other things now. And he actually took us to Stockholm with him to see him get the Nobel Prize. Wow. As a scientist, as a... There's a monetary amazing. to that too, right? Million dollars. A million dollar grant million or something. Dollars, yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. Is that used for research or is that a compensation thing? I don't mean to be greedy with people, but is that like, hey, here's a gift to enhance your life or is it, hey, we'd like to give you this to enhance your research? Yeah, I don't really know what there, what strings there are. Yeah, um, me either, but it's an interesting, like, yeah, I don't follow the, the path. I think that most probably use it in their research, but I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know that for a fact. In any event... <clears throat> She and I got together here and ultimately got married when we were living in Cheviot and um, had a baby. Nice. So we had a nice house in Cheviot. It was 1,400, square feet. It had a bath and a half-ish. So for people that don't know, here's what I'm envisioning. I'm envisioning a house that's built in the 1940s, 30s, something like that. These were smaller homes, and these are the properties that sort of built Los Angeles. But Cheviot Hills is what uh, Dr. Gold's referring to, is an affluent part of Los Angeles. It's a wonderful geographic location. Yeah, it's very Just pleasant. adjacent to Beverly Hills, very close to the 405 freeway, which we Central call the San Diego Freeway. It's a lovely area. Yeah, a, it was beautiful. And Frankly, we loved it there, and we loved the house. Um, but 
we had the baby and the nanny and one and a half bath. <laughs> and so I decided, okay, maybe time to make it bigger. Uh, I went through three or four architects. I knew I was in trouble when the last architect showed up with plans that took our one and a half bath and turned it into five. Wow. The fifth bath was to service the pool. I didn't have a pool. And I didn't have property to put a pool on. So it was a little bit more. And I just said, this is nuts. You were, this architect was going to mansionize before that word became popular. Before anybody knew. <laughs> before anybody knew. I know we're also thinking about schools. And so by this time, it's 94. My daughter's three. We're, we're serious. So the schools really attracted us. We put our house on the market. Um, it sold to the perfect couple. Nice. Uh, an older well, it went into escrow with a perfect couple. And uh, she was an artist. We had this big, they, it had been added to, and it had this big family room that was very bright. And she was going to turn it into a studio. It was perfect. And uh, then we had the Northridge earthquake. And a lot of their assets were tied to property they owned in the valley. And some of those buildings were destroyed. A lot of his tenants left. The escrow fell apart. Oh, so, and lives it, fell apart. I mean, you know, these yeah. things sort of have the earthquake ripple. It's not just the earthquake itself. It's the economic ripple afterwards Absolutely. and FEMA and rebuilding it. I mean, Ventura Boulevard in the valley is the main drag. And if you drove down it, it, it was like glass was broken from every shop. It was just like, wow. It was, yeah. it was an eye-opening. Yeah. yeah. We were fortunate, <clears throat> though, um, months later, not years, months, we went back on the market, and we were actually able to sell our house and um, move into um, the house we have now. We um, In Beverly Hills. In Beverly Hills. So we're now in Beverly Hills. Yeah. So it was 94 when we moved in, right? And we moved in in the summer after the earthquake. Uh, we did some stuff around the house before we moved in, and then a ton more after. But, um, yeah, so we moved so in. So basically in you're a 30-year, almost a 30-year resident of Beverly Hills. Right. This is the fun question. So we're a... They've all been fun so far. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they only stay that way. But you're in Beverly Hills. You're obviously a thriving physician because you're, you're a compassionate human, whether you want to admit that or not. Um, and you're a kind soul. So that all said, you now have a home in Beverly Hills. How did this... New Yorker who's grown up in public schools, who sort of gets vacuumed into medicine, who goes to Israel, who follows a, a woman to Beverly Hills. That's something different, but that was the original calling, who ends up in Los Angeles thriving. How you come to Beverly Hills, what made you decide to get involved? Well, first off, I will tell you, I've said this a lot, <clears throat> my life is kind of like Roomba. <laughs> Right? I roll along, I hit a wall, and I go in a different direction. Um, and as I said at the beginning, that's, that was an early lesson for me. It's okay to change. It's okay to change. Um, so it starts in 1998. Um, a, a former council member, former school board member, too, a fellow named Willie Bryan. A wonderful doctor. <laughs> wonderful guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, whose granddaddy was Earl Warren. Yeah. Chief Justice of the, the Supreme, Supreme Court. Court during some tumultuous times in the United States. We're working one night. I had known Willie through, uh, obviously professionally, but 
he was the commissioner of AYSO or something like that. And my daughter was playing AYSO, and we met when I was pissed off at him, and I called to scream at him, and that's sort of how we Oh, you were a soccer, soccer dad. I was a soccer dad. Anyway, so a while later, we get over that. And um, we're working in the operating room one night. He's obviously doing the surgery. I'm giving the anesthesia, and Willie says to me, I think I'm going to run for the school board. Do you want to work on my campaign? I said, sure. I don't know what that means. Yeah, yeah. What, what does that mean? Whatever well, that you means. You didn't know what you signed up for, but now it's there. So Will, we know who to blame for yeah. all of this. It's Willie Bryan. Willie Bryan. Yeah, uh -huh. started with Willie Bryan. And so I did, and he won. And then along the way, I got introduced to lots of folks who were campaign-related, uh, in particular Judy Fenton, who's a dear friend. And, He's an awesome human. Yeah. And who's still, in fact, we're going to have dinner tonight. Oh, say hello. I surely give her a hug. Um, and so uh, as this develops, people have said, well, we're, do we're working on this bond matter. We're working on this thing. I'm working on my campaign. So got... that vacuum's out again. Somebody turned the switch on and is going to suck you. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm, uh, it's easy for me to say sure. Yeah. Right? So I did. Uh, and along the way, um, Linda Briskman appointed me to Team Beverly Hills. So I got to see all about the city. And from that, I got appointed to the Traffic and Parking Commission, where I served for six years. And after that, I got appointed to Rec and Park for a brief period. And in that latter part of Rec and Park, Judy turned to me one day and said, you know, if you're going to run for the city council, this is probably as good a chance as you're going to have. And I think everybody considered me a dark horse. Uh, there were two slots, and I was running with Lily Bossy and... Uh, Nancy Krasny. No. And, and Titans of yeah, I mean, philanthropy you know, and just yeah, more well, great people in Beverly Hills. Yeah. These names are endearing to me because I've, I've, I've known some of them from a distance, but they're, they're local people that really seem to be intent on making the places better. Yeah, strong, smart yes. women and, yeah. you know, very competent. And um, so everybody said it was a challenge. We knew it was going to be a challenge. Uh, I got lucky. I won, you know. Um, I don't yeah. know if it was lucky, but okay. Nancy, for her part, ran again two years later, and she and I got to serve together. And so the world is circular, or you know. So uh, that all worked out fine, but I got elected in uh, 2011. Did you like it? Did I like getting elected? No, did you like being a council person in Beverly Hills? Because people think, you know, to go off topic just for a second, um, there's candidates. We'll be having an election next year for city council. And somebody asked me, you know, hey, what do you think of, you know, I'm thinking of doing this. And, I, and, and the question to me was, um, I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think? And I said, well, why are you running for city council? Right. And that's the question sure. that everybody needs to have an answer to. And if you don't have that answer, it's a little bit of a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, No, I think that's right. I'd also say that over the last decade, it's changed. I ha um, you know, 13 years now. And this but did you enjoy it? I don't want to think yeah. about that. Well, what I was going to say is yes. It's, it's harder to do today. Ah, that makes sense. That sort of lines to where you were taking this. Right. I, in the beginning, well, in the beginning, it's all new and, you know, and all of that. And I, it's, first off, I think it starts from the notion that if you want to do something good for your community, the easiest way to do it. Well, the closest and easy way, yeah, is to get involved in local government. Yeah, 
because we're all the things that affect our quality of life, streets, parks, schools, water, everything. Police, you know, all of that is all local government. We're not talking about the heady issues that the feds deal with, the national debt or any right. of that kind of stuff. Or state issues or, or even state. county issues exactly. we're dealing with local. Yeah. These are very local issues. And so here you have an opportunity to have an impact. You may not always get what you want, but at least you have an opportunity to make an impact. And I enjoyed that. I thought that not only for things I wanted to get done, but being a vehicle for other things that other people wanted. Yeah, that's that I think right there. What you would like to get done, I always think, is a sort of a, a, a vision from one's own optics. The idea that I represent others who may think this way, like as an example, I have been a merchant in Beverly Hills, God, for decades now. I've been here since the 80s, um, and I've always been merchant, business, development. Let's have a tour. Let's attract tourists. Let's attract business and people like that. And then the other, not another side, but a different sort of facet to this beautiful diamond is residents. They have a vision for, you know, peace and quiet right to sure. existence. And either of those two groups, and there's many, many more, that's who you're representing. And, and that's who you're trying to improve all at the same time. Can I tell you a fun story? Of course. So I can't remember the year, but we had a thing going on in the state of California of Christmas trees could not be in public parks. And Hanukkah menorahs couldn't be in public parks. There's a big to-do about all right. of this, big, big kerfuffle. Um, that I don't know why you just don't avert your eyes, which is First Amendment, but I, I understand some people just need to stir the pot. And... I was asked to do an evaluation for the Catholic Church Archdiocese in Hollywood. And it was right in that time, and we were talking about a topic that was just insane. Uh, here, we're done, and he won't, you know, getting ready to go. I said, can I talk to you a minute? He goes, do we need to go on a confessional? I says, no, thank you, but I have a question. What do Easter eggs have to do with bunnies? Right. And he starts laughing, and we get into a whole discussion on it's a symbol. And then we ended up on this because it, it was everybody was talking about it. Today, unfortunately, we talk about much more serious and heavy things. But then it was, okay, let's, everybody's talking about it. And he says, no different than a Christmas tree. And he used the word menorah. Um, they're just symbols of the season. They're not religious artifacts. They're just symbols of the season. And it, I, I never forgot that because that was what the local people here, the two sides, where we can't have anything religious-based in a Beverly Hills city park. We cannot have a Christmas tree. We cannot have a, a menorah um, on, uh, on, in the parks. And it was everybody was talking about it. And then people get all bent out of shape. It's like... Um, you can't tell me I can't have a Christmas tree. And it was, that was the sort of pot stir of the yeah. time. And I, I, I can only imagine the nonsense that no matter who in Beverly Hills is coming to a city council person and yelling at. And, you know, I wish, I wish they were all that simple. Yeah. <laughs> I wish they were all that simple. Um, you know, that, that's why we do what we do, right? Yeah. And we used to, I think, live more in a time where you and I might not agree, but you've got your opinion and I've got my opinion. And our job is to find the place between our opinions 
Because that's a better product. That's the premise of being a lawyer, that if you're a lawyer, I'm a lawyer. If we're really pure about it, you're arguing on behalf of your side or client, and I'm doing the same. And the longer we get at that, the more we're going to have a product that benefits both of our clients. And in government, at least in my mind, when you have civility in government and you have, we're all trying to solve a problem, I may wish to take it and solve it this way. You might want to do it that way. If we find that path, it's going to be a better product in that lane. There's no doubt that's true. It's, the, I think, the underpinning of democracy, which is we have to have that conversation until we find the space where 51% of the electorate agrees. Yeah. And some days it's closer to your opinion and some days it's closer to mine, but we've lost that. Today yeah. it's I've got my opinion, you've got your opinion. And we're going to beat each other and I, up and, until... And, and this is like, again, it's not the fun part of it, of, of what I like about this podcast, but the interesting part, if, we, if I can say that, is patience has been lost and detente and civility has been lost because people go, uh, you're on that side, I don't like you because you're on that side. Right. I, I don't, hey, Julian, you could be on, pick, pick a t any topic that you want, if you can articulate it, it teaches me empathy because then it forces me. I respect you. I have to think of it. How is he seeing this when I so passionately disagree? I'll throw a shout out to my friend Tim Mead, who um, was at the time one of the VPs with the California Angels and now the Anaheim Angels and then the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And then he went on to become the president of Major League Baseball Players Association. And how we became very close was we were introduced. And we both sort of line with everything. And the topic of abortion came up, which is always like a, a hot button. And he, he's on one side and I'm on the other. And I caught myself in the middle as we're discussing it, not getting upset, but going, this is a guy who's really bright, who really sees it completely differently than I see it. I need to pause myself, check myself try to look at it through his eyes, whatever position it was, and this it would happen to be that topic of abortion, and I came away and it validated my own belief, and yes, I happen to be on my side of this issue rather than give a political thing out to the world on which side it was, but I, you know, um, I took one position and it just enhanced, yeah, I agree with my own position, but it made me stop and think because I respected him. Like if you and I disagreed on an issue, I would go, wait, this is Julian. He's a really bright dude. What's he thinking here? And I might not agree, but I know he's trying to solve the problem. He's not trying to irritate me. He's trying to solve the problem. Why am I yelling at him about how he's trying to solve it? Yeah. And that's, I think, what we have to get back to. And, and I always talk about it, um, you know, whenever I give a little chat at Rotary or something, I end it with, be good humans, yeah. and that's Brian Phelps, who was with Mark and Brian, he used to say that. That's what we need to aspire to, because the only way out is kindness and understanding to these other sides. Do you face a lot of dilemmas with people getting overly hyped up today about the process? In other words, do this my way, it's gotta be done, you know, I'm gonna yell, or is it? Well, I think more so than before. Um, there's always some, but the world is very twitchy today, and we find yeah, that... Yeah, I like that word. That's great. We find that the people who are approaching us much more impassioned and... Um, and uh, I, know, I was going to use, use the wrong word, which was militant, but much more aggressively in their position, much more like, you need to hear me. Yeah. I don't I'll, know. I'll tell you an anecdote. I had not been on the council very long, and, you know... For all you think you know, 
there's a whole lot you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And being a council member, serving in the public eye, there is a definite and steep learning curve. And it probably takes a year or two to find some comfort for, for your ability to do that. So I had not been in office very long, <clears throat> one of my first meetings. And you know that the beginning of every meeting, there's the opportunity for the public to address us on matters not on the agenda. Okay. Open public comment. We allow about three minutes and people say what they got to say. So here we are, one of my first of these things. And this guy gets up and he looks at us and he goes, you guys are a bunch of buffoons. That's not usually a good way to get something accomplished or to get somebody to listen to what you have to say and get on your side. But tell us well, what no, happened. Well, no, but that's exactly the point. Because for his three minutes, I sat there wondering, how can this guy be so stupid? How hard would it have been to stand up and say, I really appreciate what you're doing. Right. I know you've got a tough job, but I'm really pissed because I've got this issue right. and I need your help. Everybody would have been there, yeah. right? Yeah. Who would have said no to that? That's the detente that's missing and the common decency that we have to get back to. Yeah. It could be over a stop sign. It could be over, you know, something horrible in this person's life. God forbid something had happened. But the idea of catching flies with honey or whatever yeah. that expression is, it sure beats screaming at somebody and putting them on the defensive and in an adversarial position because why would I want to help you based upon this is what you think of us? Well, and more to the point, and I'm almost embarrassed to admit it, but I, I barely heard what he said after yeah, that. Yeah, I was so you're lost. Like zinged. <laughs> I was so lost in the approach. Yeah. I don't know what his issue yeah. was. And um, you know, I don't know that it ultimately got resolved or not, but that's you know, that you learn that when you sit up there and people do that and today so it's gonna take the newbies on council. There's a little bit of a time to get used to yeah. getting rid of the minutiae that people are yelling at and trying to hear people and get along and well yeah politic the way I guess the, the, the root of the word is in understanding politics, you know. I'm, I think part of the role of the mayor, um, as the one running these meetings is to the extent that you can, and you can't always, but to the extent that you can, recognize that somebody is agitated, and you know, okay, Mrs. Jones, what, what do you want us to know? Get back to passionate, not agitated, you'd be better, but go ahead, yeah, Mr. Well, Jones. Well, what, both. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what's the message? What, what, how can we help you? Yeah. What, what do you really want us to what hear? What do you really want? And, and sometimes people will articulate that, which makes it a little easier, and sometimes not. Um, but I think that's part of the role of the person running the meeting is to try and, when you can, get past. Now, the people just show up to shout, you know. And yeah, it's a venting place. Where can I go vent that these people that I'm mad with because somebody's on the other side of a political issue than I am and you're sitting in the seat? But the first thing that people should always do, here's a hint if you want something done, you know, thank you so much, council people, for doing what you do. Right. I'm hoping you'll be able to help me. And then go into whatever it is. Exactly right. And, and that, that's, that's the correct approach, even if it's completely different than Dr. Gold's opinion, at least you're going to get him to hear him or Dr. Nazarian and Sharona Nazarian and, and all the other council people. They, they, my mind just went blank on some of the others. Um, Mirish. Bossy, Mirish. Mirish and Les Friedman. The Thank mayor. you. And Lester Friedman. If you want to get on their good side, 
perhaps uh, take a different approach. Or but, just have them listen to you. Yeah. So shifting topics a little. Let's go off topic. What do you do for fun? Well, not much. Not much. No golf, no tennis. No, no golf or tennis. But you mentioned earlier airplanes, aeronautics. Yeah, well, that's a longer story. I thought when I wasn't sure I was going to be a surgeon, which I wasn't, and I hadn't yet discovered anesthesia, there was a moment in time there where I wanted to be a naval aviator. Hmm. I was about 300 pounds at the time, and the recruiter laughed at me, but um, it was a moment in time. Um, we have a new grandbaby, actually a two, almost a two-year-old grandbaby. Congratulations. That's another, fantastic. And another one due in January. And so... That takes your time. That's taken a lot of time. Um, I'm, but does that get... So family gives you the enjoyment, spending time with family? Yeah. I, uh, Lisa Block uh, was on the podcast, and, I, and, and Lisa's great because I asked her a similar type of a question, and her question was... Her, her answer was... I just love my family. I love to sit and we'll have dinners and we'll cook together and we'll do all that. I go, that's so great. You know, that, that's just great. So for you, is there anything? Well, we spend doing? a lot of family time. Um, I've always liked uh, gizmos and gadgets. Mm -hmm. So I fuss with those. I built a couple of those. I built some computers, done that kind of stuff. Uh, as a kid, actually in medical school, I built Heathkit. I don't know if you knew Heathkit. No. You can buy all these electronic things. And put oh, it, and put, put them, them together. together and make what, yeah. yeah. So I, I did that, and that was fun, and that's kind of a, still like to do that it's kind of It's model airplanes for really bright people. Well, I don't know, but that was <laughs> elect electronics anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's fun. It's like these, do you ever see these people, they're rocketeers? Yeah. That's a, I, I, it's, people think, well, what, what's the point of that? I think the point is the process. It's not shooting the rocket and watching it right. go. It's the starting the meticulous that it takes to put one of these together, and then you watch it go up, and you don't want to lose it, and it comes down. It's the same with the people that build these planes, the remote-controlled planes, and they're flying around. Right. It's great. That's yeah. just not for me. Well, but, and I, I might do it, but, I mean, you need a big area and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I do that. I, I, uh, I've educated myself. I'm pretty computer literate. Nice. I've educated myself in that, and I've done some stuff with that. But for the most part, you know, I've um, this particular year... Uh, has been hard, has been um, busy, not hard, um, because not only did I take on the mayor's role, but I also took on a role as president of a Contract Cities Association, which 80 cities, 8 million people, uh, which is a, an organization that looks to take the power of each city individually and amplify and, and, it. And leverage it, to, yeah. Leverage it together. And, and I also took on the role as the chair of the board for the Clean Power Alliance, which is the organization which, uh, for which uh, f we work with, who we get green energy from. The Clean Power Alliance uh, is the largest provider of green energy in the country, uh, over a billion and a is half. Is it efficient and sustainable? Yes. Okay, that's, just, that's a very important question. Yes. I want people to hear that. Yes, the answer is, is yes. Yes, we just signed I don't know it's the end-all answer, but it is an answer to additional <coughs> energy that comes from a different source. So that's cool. Well, I think that um, it's a complicated question. Yeah. Um, we actually yesterday agreed to uh, sign to this huge contract the largest uh, wind project in the history of the United States. Uh, we're going to take... 
575 megawatts of, of, um, of wind electricity over the, it'll take a while to build, obviously, but this is um, huge. It's, uh, you talk about sustainability. Um, th this is part of the future. Um, the, the path to green energy, do I believe that this is the end of the path? I don't. I think that solar, wind, all of them geothermal, have a place, right? you know, all of those. Nuclear even for people at some point. Well, it so was you, safe enough. As soon as somebody uses the word nuclear, everybody goes, oh, my God. You know, but, but at some point, it's clean. It's just not, at some point, if safety could be over, you know, calmed and protected and ironclad, I don't mean any overreaching words, everything's a possibility when you get the smart people looking at it. Well, and in point of fact, I think uh, nuclear may ultimately come to be the answer. Today, the reactors are smaller and, mm -hmm. and um, uh, much safer. And, you know, France is nuclear, and there are parts of Germany that are nuclear. There's, it's finding a resurgence, and it's not for the technology, but for the public opinion. Yeah. But we're not there yet. I'm not advocating that yet. But do you see, for, you know, I shrink it back to Beverly Hills, Let's, you know, some of the projects in Beverly Hills that are going on for future. And I, again, this is normally a fun type of a podcast, but is there stuff that you should, that we should be thinking of? This is happening in Beverly Hills that whether it's residential over, you know, what do they call it? Vertical living over, you know, sort of like New York. Yeah. Um, do you, what should we be looking for in Beverly Hills, let's say in a decade from now? Well, I think that. Better, worse, congested, less congested? Easier access, better for merchants, who knows, right? Well, we're optimistic that it'll be better for everybody. Uh, what that exactly looks like, obviously, to be determined. But the council has moved in the direction of building mixed use, which does reflect the way other cities live with ground floor retail mm -hmm. and living above it. There's really no reason why we cannot do yeah. that here. It's different, but we can certainly do it. I think that if... Uh, people are really committed to a greener future than uh, mixed use in areas where you can walk for amenities makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So you think that way on some of these properties that are being built, um, they're not building like square footage in the vertical stuff. They're not building, let's say, a condominium that's 8,000 square feet. For, to be opulent, they'll build that one for that type of a family, and it's 3,200 feet, but everything's on campus. So you've got a, 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 a not only a gym, but you've got laundry and you all the kind of amenities that people would like that's sort of in a, in a mini community. It seems like that might be a trend. I don't know. Well, it's interesting you say that. There are, there are those who have proposed those exactly that, where you can live, work, Play. Yeah, smaller domicile for actually right. where you go shut the door and watch your television and, and cook your food, but you're living in your little community. Hey, you want a little restaurant? We got that downstairs. You want a tennis court? You whatever, whatever sort of is there. Those may come. I think in the short term, shorter term, the area that surrounds La Cienica, Wilshire, mm -hmm. uh, when the new subway station opens, it's now delayed a, a bit. Well, it'll be probably in the spring of 25. Wait, it's delayed? Let me put on my surprise face. <laughs> <laughs> that area begs for a solution of smaller units, uh, maybe young people without families, or older people who've had families and now... Downsizers, which want, I'm a part of right now. Want to downsize? 
in an area that's walkable, where the, the amenities of living are close by, uh, you don't have to drive to the dry cleaner, it's a block away, or to a small grocery or to a restaurant you like or a coffee shop? It's actually fun that way, Julian, because for me, it used to be, oh, how do I get the best parking space? Now it's I want the worst parking space, so it's a little extra walk. Yeah. I, I actually like that. So it's like all of these little amenities that you just were discussing, my mind went to, oh, great, that's a destination to walk yeah. to. You know, oh, good, I got to go to the market and grab something. Let me go take a little backpack and go for a walk. And that's that's kind of invigorating for me at my stage of life and what I like. And, and it's what I like about Beverly Hills. Well, and I think we're going to see more of it. I think um, you're not alone in that. There are many who have that same feeling. You know, that part of town has the advantage. We have a huge park there. Mm -hmm. And at some That's point... That's where the Little League is, I think. They, they play there and elsewhere, but yeah. Uh, and softball and AYSO yeah. soccer and, uh, and all kinds of other adult activities. Uh, over time, we will uh, renovate, restore that park. We uh, got sidetracked with COVID, but that will come back. So you're talking about... Uh, Speaking of COVID, thank you for all of that, by the way. You were a calming voice to the community with that you. because you took out the crazy and just gave an opinion, and your opinion might have changed on a weekly basis, but it was always coming from here's the newest and the latest. So thank you for that. Are we Before I forget, because people want to know, are we... I don't want to say done with, but are we done with the fear of that? And now we're to what? What did we learn from it? That's the medical. Put your medical hat back. All right. Well, I think Not we go. The, mayor hat. the medical hat says we go from being epidemic or pandemic, which is multiple countries, to endemic, which means it's it's just amongst us. Yeah. And I think we've come to the point where COVID is at such a level. We will see it. We still do. Uh, it will likely change year over year, like the flu. Uh, we'll probably treat it like we treat the flu and maybe now RSV. There are other viruses that um, have done this forever. Um, I think it's that. I'm with you in that, in, in a strange way, hearing those words, it's kind of encouraging in that as all I wanted was the fear to dampen away because fear is not a good thing in any aspect of society. If people live in fear and they're worried somebody's going to give it and uh, don't do this, don't bring your dog in here because your dog might have COVID and it could give it to me. Whatever crazy things people may yeah. conjure up and then in their mind they're justifying it for their own existences. So I'm just, I, I'm hopeful, that's a good word, that the fear is behind us. Now let's deal with what's in the moment. Yeah, I think that... Um I, th I think that the immediate um, crisis is over. I do think that we would be remiss if we didn't take the opportunity to go back and look at the things we might have done. There were to be prepared for the future. For the future yeah, absolutely. You know? Uh, you know, Bill Gates had given a TED Talk that talked about this years before. Um, and we really need um, to be prepared. Yeah. I think it demonstrated how ill-prepared we are. Same as the earthquake. After yeah. the earthquake, now every, after the earthquake for several years, everybody had 92 million cases of water and, and all these other things. And then it sort of drifts and finds the norm. And the norm sort of may fall under what you're prepared right. for. You don't have one case of bottled water. You, you don't have a place. We can always go get it. Yeah, you know, it's all Costco will always have it. Yeah, that didn't work out too well for us. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. But... So I, I think that the hard part of COVID is past. Um, there will be people who get sick with COVID. 
Uh, unfortunately, there'll probably be people who die with COVID. But it's unfortunate people die from flu and measles flus and, and cancers right. and terrible things, and older people are more susceptible to All it. True. I'm just, uh, this is, I, I never go political, but I'm just hoping our elected people learn from right. this to be leaders as opposed to, I don't want to say, say dictators, but you're going to do it my way. And, and we really should elect smart people, really investigate, participate in that, make common decisions. I'm not going to ever tell somebody who to vote for, but if you've thought about it, you, we shouldn't be electing somebody just because they're in my political party or the other. Think about who is who and what the best choices are, especially locally, in my mind, especially locally, because well, they're the ones that impact our lives locally. I would agree with that. I would agree with that 100%. The other side of that, however, is um, getting people like that to want to run. Oh, absolutely. You know, in this conversation, Julian, there's me through how I see it. There's you, how you see things, whatever we're talking about. And then there's us, you and I talking together to represent. We seem to, in America, have forgotten the us part. Right. And the us part is so important. Right. It, it, it really is important. And to get people to have learned from, we shouldn't do it that way. Let's try this way. Let's not ram, you got to wear two masks or you got to do this or you can't come into my establishment without thinking about it. It's, it's problematic. But back to fun stuff. Okay. So, so fun stuff is, I know you're a member of Beverly Hills Rotary. I am. I know that you were involved with baseball. How Little did you get involved with Little League? Uh, my daughter. A large part of my life was around my daughter. So my daughter was playing um, a Little League. And at the time, um, Little League did not have a substantial softball presence. Uh, and uh, one of the board members of Little League, a fellow named Howard Kripak, uh, may he rest in peace, had a daughter, and his daughter and my daughter were friends, and they played ball together. And he had a, she was a, a, a good ball player, and, and, and we got to talking. And um, we realized, I mean, I would have probably been okay if my daughter continued to play with the boys forever, but uh, there was a sort of a point, a, a, a fork in the road. We have to make the decision about softball, baseball. And so, at the time, there were enough girls to kind of play. Uh, and he and I, he was on the board. And he said to me, well, why don't you come on the board? And together, we'll build the girls' softball part of it. And so I, st I stayed on the Little League board for, I don't know, three or four years. And we did, in fact, do that. We built up the girls' softball some. Uh, probably it's not as so awesome, the women's softball, in that... You know, I grew up, you know, everybody's sort of a part of the outlier book by Malcolm Gladwell. What, what era did you grow up and where do you fit? And um, I was not a Title IX guy right. because it's like, wait, why are you saying we have to take away from one gender to help the other? And, th and that's still kind of a good position, but when you see the benefits of what women's softball and collegiate softball has done, it's fantastic. And Little League for me... Um, I coached, I was involved, my son played, and it was just, it was a big family event. And we had one g little girl um, on our softball team who was a phenomenal player, just a great player. And I remember 
I, I, I saw, I forget her name, I saw, there was a, a female pitcher who actually made it to the independent leagues to become a professional, and I cut out the article and with pride showed it to her. And it, her, she had the same, as I, if I remember right, she had the same fork in the road and became a very good softball player, but that creates opportunities for young women in college and to do different things with it. And it's such a great, the, the Women's College Softball World Series is such a great yeah. college sport to watch. And she was playing club soccer one winter. She's a goalkeeper. And she went for the ball and somebody kicked her and broke her finger. Oh. And needed some surgery. It was pretty. Pretty significant break. Pretty significant break. And she landed up missing the entire, her junior year softball season. And that kind of was the end of, you know, because that's what the colleges are interested in. And so. Does she, she still follow baseball? Softball. Yeah, softball. a little bit. No, no baseball. That was my question. No, to my, baseball. my wife follows baseball. Right. Her dad did and yeah. it's in her blood. Um, but my daughter was determined to play in college, uh, soccer, and uh, we had some significant conversations around that, and I said, you know, if, um, if you can get into a good college and do that, I'm okay with it, but... Yeah, that's the problem also. Hey, um, I had this conversation earlier with Dr. Michael Brege this morning. We had bumped into each other in that certain schools do the right things for kids. The kid wants to play baseball and he wants to play football and he's interested in oceanography. So they ended up, the, the, the school that my, my son and daughter went to was a private school. They sent him to the University of Puget Sound because he could play Division three this and Division three that. But if you're selecting the school because you want to play softball and you're, there's no sort of end game, it's not what your life is going to be about, and you're accepting... Cal State, whatever, oh, and then there's nothing to matter with those schools, I'm yeah. saying, but if you could go to a school that, if you want to be a physician, it doesn't matter where you start, but it's a hell of a lot right. more difficult of a road starting at a lesser school, so that's kind of a fun. So she, she got it, and she applied. We did the whole deal with the, the DVD and mailed it around, yeah. and uh, she actually got recruited by Brandeis, and she got wow. recruited by Carnegie Mellon, which is where she went. And Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, it was a great experience for her. It's fantastic. It's a great school. We actually like Pittsburgh. Uh, it's what's not to like. I tell this. My 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 family on my mother's side was from Pittsburgh. It's a fantastic city. It's yeah. not a good city. It's fantastic, but it's weather yeah, and it's totally. hilly mm -hmm. and it's this and it's that mm -hmm. and it was a steel town. But it's, it's a lovely, lovely city. Uh, if we were going to make a model for a minor ma American city, Pittsburgh's a good one. I, we loved it. Uh, I have to say that uh, she was going for her first meeting with the coach in this recruitment process, and we got delayed. You can't, couldn't get there directly at Nah, stop they somewhere. stopped that for a while, yeah. yeah I think, I think now there's one flight, but mm -hmm. I haven't been in a long time. I think we got stuck in Philadelphia. I don't know. In the course of her time there, we changed in every major transit across the United States. But so when we finally, finally uh, got to Pittsburgh, it's three in the morning, right? <laughs> and um, not a lot of nightlife there. Well, we were ready to go to bed, yeah. you know. But you drive through the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Oh, yeah. And it's, it was a clear night. 
and you come out on the other side, and the bridge is all lit up, right. and and the, the three rivers, and, uh, it's just fantastic. it's remarkable. It's yeah. really, really, yeah. really pretty. There's some restaurants up in the up in the hills. Uh, I, what's the name of it? the Lamont, mm -hmm. and it its overview was for what the old Three Rivers Stadium was. You could right. see that, and you saw where the rivers were. It's just it's a nice place, and Carnegie Mellon is just it's a it's an elite school. Well, it was great for her, and she had a good time, and she played, and um, so it turned out fine. Nice. You know, but and then she. The interesting thing with kids in colleges was her intention, life's in front of me, we'll see where it leads, I might live in Pittsburgh, I might live anywhere, or was her intention to go to Carnegie Mellon and then come back to Los Angeles? Uh, I think she was going to come back. We talked about cold weather. I don't think she fully appreciated <laughs> what it was to live in cold weather. She, you know, we had skied, we'd been around. Right. She and that's of, cold, but it's not. Buffalo cold. It's not Syracuse cold. Well, you know, it's cold, but it's not. It's not insane. Her know. first winter, not Minnesota there, cold. You know, her first winter there, um, they actually declared like martial law. Yeah, closed the city. Closed it. It never happened yeah. before. You weren't allowed out. Her second year there, winter there, they had record. Maybe the first year, first year was record snow. Second year was record cold. Third year, she was fortunate. She did a semester in Jerusalem. And the fourth year, they had record rain. Yeah. At the end of her senior year, she was ready to and leave. And that's the good news. Similar to my daughter in Arizona. <laughs> but, the, but, but Pittsburgh is very, very interesting because the summers are no picnic either yeah, with right. the humidity. Yeah. But it is truly, it's a lovely place. But nothing's like Beverly Hills. No. I'm sorry. It's our community. It's my home. And it's everything. So what else can we talk about? What, what, do you have anything that you want to tell people? Again, this is, remember, think, Julian, you and I are having lunch at the Palm, yeah. which How is How much no time more. do we have? We've I mean, got as much time as you want to spend. People want to hear, you know, because it's a get-to-know people, and that's what they like. Is there anything, any project that you're working on? What's your, what do you think about legacy for this council and for you? Is there any, anything like that that you want to put out there or just chugging along? Well, you know, I think that each, um, each mayor brings with them things they want to do. Um, along the way, you realize, because you're only mayor for a year, you realize that um, if, or, you if get it's... a ring, like a mayor ring or right. something? <laughs> if, it's, if you're going to succeed um, in accomplishing whatever, it's either got to be small enough that you can get it done in a year or sexy enough that the rest of the council picks up with it and keeps it going. It's got some momentum to it, yeah. and everybody can jump on board. Jump on board. So I've been fortunate in the course of my mayoral initiatives to, um, you know, I launched the next Beverly Committee, the Next Gen Committee, which uh, has been around now for seven or eight years, in order to get young, younger members of our community engaged and which is just great, by the way. Helped develop leadership. And uh, it was one of those that the council adopted and ran with kept it going. Bit. And we see now, seven years later, we have members that have come through that that are becoming involved in the city and city government and all that kind of thing. And so, and at the same time, I think it's they, also... Julian, it's bigger than that. It feeds to... A, a problem that's unsolvable. It's just we got to chip away at it. It's again part of the Michael Breggy conversation. I learned that 
school enrollment nationwide is down. We're just not having as many children as, let's say, we did after, as baby boomers or et cetera, et cetera. And the idea of getting younger people involved to Beverly Hills will get them to move to Beverly Hills. They will likely have children in Beverly Hills, which means that they will go to this incredible school district that's here, which means they will become involved citizens from Beverly Hills. And, you know, the stigma, oh, you're from Beverly Hills, the world knows Beverly Hills. Not everybody in Beverly Hills is rich. Yeah, it's right. just far from that. So More than half of that our residents are renters. Great. Yeah, and, and that program is Great. That's a whole other conversation, rentals versus buying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And today, that's an economic thing. But I'm talking more about the idea of you. And I see them in Rotary, that they're, we're taking people that are much more involved and, and younger and younger, which is fantastic because they're involved. Some of it is motivated by, hey, this is good for my career. Let me have my career in Beverly Hills. Mm -hmm. It's a good center for all of that, for medicines and for doctors and, of course, for commerce and shopping and tourism. But it's good for the community having younger people. I love the Father's Day thing. I, I, oh, that's a great thing. It's just so awesome. Um, and I'm not, like, ever going to buy a car like that, but it gave me a reason to say to my son, and we had the L.A. Open here that was going on that right. same time, and I love the walk, as I mentioned, so I walked from the Wilshire Corridor to that event mm -hmm. with my son and up and down, and it was so great to see people. Maybe it's the getting over the COVID, oh, look at these events, but to see the event i didn't get to go with it but to see the videos on the south beverly drive thing that's what you're talking about right that's these things unbelievable do more of those Julian. well that's yeah, going to be your legacy they're the community events and you know they bring the community together and uh and also brings younger people to the community and we are teaching leadership but sort of on the job training this is how you get stuff done so i you know i'm, I'm passionate about that I started this nurse practitioner program. Oh. So uh, our fire department uh, had, a, if, if, you, if you called 911, the paramedics would come. And if you needed to go to the hospital, they would take you. But if you weren't sick enough to go to the hospital or didn't need it, they, they would leave you. And oftentimes, whoever it was still needed help. So we, uh, this goes back about three years now, four years now. Uh, we started to engage uh, nurse practitioners, and uh, they, they served to fill that gap. Um, and in filling that gap, it could be somebody who falls on the street and has a laceration, needs it sewed up, and needs stitches. The emergency room is six or eight hours wait time. Yeah, that's another problem everywhere. Yeah. In major cities. But these nurse practitioners can sell you up on the spot. Yeah. And send you home. And then they'll go check on you tomorrow. Um, and so it started to kind of fill that problem. But we realized that now that we had the nurse practitioners working for us, um, that there are other things they could do. So our chief, Greg Barton, and Sean Stokes, the EMS administrator, they started to look at our 911 calls. And who made frequent 911 calls? And these nurse practitioners started to make proactive rounds on those folks who clearly wow. needed help. That's great. And with that, we connected them to social services. We connected them to um, visiting nurse services if they needed it. These are great things. I mean, just the, the thing that came to my mind is that people may or may not know, like we have the Music Men's Minds thing right. it's a great for, program. for older people at the, at the park 
which is just having musicians come in and having the audience and the participants actually play music and just to be involved because there's a great joy and an uplift to that. And that's what we're about, you know, that's what we're, or we should be about. And that's fantastic. Well, I think we can do these things. I mean, these are programs and there are others, but these are programs that because of who we are, we're fortunate that we can do that. Candidly, we're fortunate that we can afford to do it. But if we do them right, like this nurse practitioner program, we actually um, have a grant from the feds. The idea is to prove to Medicare that this makes sense because then Medicare will start to pay for it. And if they do, then other communities can do this. Yeah. So and it raises all of the society, everybody. not just Beverly Hills, but Culver City, using another independent everybody. one, Los Angeles City, all of them. That's, that's just great. That's and putting so it forward. That's what we want to do. We want to be in a place where we can provide cutting-edge programs, benefit our residents and our entire community, our business community and our visitors, and also at the same time, they, they contribute something to the broader community. You know, and I, I've spent a lot of time in this last couple of years, three years. How fulfilling is that for it's you? It's great. I love it. That's what I do. So that's when I was saying, hey, what do you do? Where, well, do, you get, do. where do you get your enjoyment? Some, it may be chasing a golf ball. It's you. I can see it. You're, you're lighting up uh, in front of me. It's like, oh, I get fulfillment when something good's coming to a group of people, to that us. There's yeah. the you, the me, that us. Mm -hmm. That's what we need. So the to the collective. Now, I think that um, that's why we do what we do, right? We do to be able to provide this sort of... Well, that's of the answer to your question, is why are you involved with city government? Because right. I want to be able to help and provide for others, but it gives me a fulfillment to know that I'm a part of that process. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah, and, and that's awesome. It feels good to be able to do All right, that. So I, I'll talk as long as you want, but I'm, I know that you have more, far more important things. I think there's an event that you're actually probably late for right now. A little bit. But I want... <laughs> I so appreciate you being here. I'm happy to be here. I want to make sure that you really understand that I'm looking you in the eyes and telling you you're a treasured part of the community. You're a treasured part of my life especially. And when you, when you gave me the say hello to Gerhard Fuchs for us, uh, mm -hmm. um, that meant a great deal um, to me and my family. And you're just a quality human being that I so treasure, number one, as a friend. And as our mayor, we need to elect a 1,000 Julian Golds across the country. Oh, so kind. thank you for joining me. Thank you for all you do. No, nah, I thank don't do you. much. I get to no. ask you, and we get to learn about no. people, which is the fun no, part of doing you, this. No, you are a model of what a good person is. You know, and that's great. I got to believe that more, but I, I thank true. you for saying that. It I thank true. you for saying that. So thank you very much. Great to see you. And it's great to see you. And God willing, I'll see you on Monday. And I'll let's, be there Monday. Uh, let's, as Brian Phelps always used to say, uh, be good humans. Be good humans. I love it. Thanks. I love it.